Hi, I'm Bill Finn. This is the second part of a two-part interview. Now that the first half of the interview is over, let me be your Sherpa as we leave the comfort of base camp and push for the summit. It's time to get your cramp on. Yeah, it's season three of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Jim Martin with my co-host, as always, Chris Beyer. Today, we have artist Richie Conway with us. And he's also uh, not just an artist, but he's also Chris's some kind of cousin. We haven't figured that out yet. We haven't done the research. Chris's cousin's son. So whatever that is, random cousin. How about that? Random cousin. I like it. (laughs) Welcome, Richie. Thanks for showing up. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today. It's kind of a, it's different for us this afternoon. Yeah, we typically record at night. You're kind of the the bohemian musician. I figured we'd be recording at midnight or something. (laughs) It's noon. You should be sleeping. Breaking the rules. Things upside down these days. So now we talked a little bit about the the musical side of it in the first half. And this uh, second half, we want to talk a little bit more about the business aspect and marketing and that kind of thing. What kind of marketing have you done with your stuff? Good question. So to talk generally and vaguely about the marketing aspect of what I do, it's definitely something that I'm improving at. To be honest, I'm not very good at selling my music as a product. What I do generally is I finish an album or a collection of work. I'll uh, submit it or post it to a medium such as Bandcamp or SoundCloud. This last one, I actually. Um, released it on wider platforms like Apple Music and Spotify. I cast my net wide this time, and I usually let my close friends know, Facebook. It gets passed along from here to there, more of a word-of-mouth kind of situation. It, it really isn't something that I sort of plaster on the, on the telephone poles of Madison. Okay. So now this gets into a little more, more psychology because I, I don't think you're alone. I, I know you're not alone with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that is? Do you think it's just because it's such a personal part of you, this music? So my wife is an artist and one of her mm-hmm. concerns is that there's going to be criticism about this. This is really intensely personal stuff, artwork. And to hear somebody criticize that, ooh, that's, that's tough to take. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it's that for you. Maybe it's something completely different. I'm not sure, but I'm just curious. What do you think? That's a good question. Um, Actually, you said it. It is something that's very deeply personal. It takes more or less a year or so of constant work. For me, the the songs in the project are kind of a stamp of a certain time and place or a chapter of, you know, what I'm doing. And it's kind of like my diary that I finish and say, all right, folks, here's my diary. You can read it. You want to buy it. I feel as if um, exposing something that deeply personal, it, it is a vulnerable feeling. I really don't mind criticism, constructive or otherwise. It's it's very useful to get feedback because I have so little of it working just by myself in a basement. I don't even have bandmates or other collaborators saying, giving input. But at the same time, the feeling of duality of having something really personal and also feeling like I made it as a product to distribute and sell, it still makes me uncomfortable, I would say. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm yeah. not a businessman or an entrepreneur. I just, I just like making the music and you know, I want people to hear it uh, uh, naturally, but it's kind of a conflict that I'm still trying to work out, I guess. Sure. That, I think that's why people hire the producers or the you know, marketing agents because here, I'll give this to you. 
you know what it's all about. I, you don't have a, a personal stake in it. It's a lot easier for them to go out and say, hey, this is awesome. Go listen to it. You know, and then you mm-hmm. can kind of you know, sit back and like, okay, I, I don't have to be the self-promoting because it feels a little strange. Yeah. That is ideal. We talked in the first half about influences, and I mentioned the Beatles. Top 40 radio right now is not full of musical acts that seem to be influenced by the Beatles. You know, there's more I'm not even that knowledgeable about right now. I'm assuming some type of R&B, some type of hybrid rap is kind of dominating the charts. Do you think that your music is relevant to people of your generation, and how can you make it relevant to them? Okay, cool. I think you are right that the pop radio channels, it's, it's pretty dominated by a few genres of music. It's easy to, to get caught in that mire and, and feel like that's all that's being made. That's all that's being distributed. I found that especially finding a group of people that I really resonate with here in Madison, realizing that there, there is a lot of good music being made and good subjective is still being created and, and, and distributed in circles of people that aren't small. There's definitely music out there. It's just, I think it's harder to find. I find myself teetering between being encouraged and discouraged, knowing that the music is out there. It just seems harder to find. Um, and where does my music take place in that, in that world? Uh, I guess I don't have the answers to that, but I, I do have a feeling that I've created a, a strong network of friends and acquaintances that I resonate with who I, I'm very excited to show the things that I make because I feel like it would kind of fit in with the things that they listen to. And, and another thing, my dad always said this, and I think it's very true, and I always kind of internalized it, because he is also a strong Beatles uh, supporter and fan. He always said that any music you hear today, somehow, more or less, in one way or another, can be traced back to something that the Beatles did uh, first. They were real pioneers in a lot of techniques and music, sonical like textures and chord progressions. And even in the most cookie-cutter assembly line pop song, you can still hear influences and I find that kind of interesting and, and kind of fun to, to kind of look for those things, too, because you can always find them and think, hey, you know, the Beatles did that at first, you know, they, or not first, but popularize that, I guess, is the right thing to say. I would imagine that now, as opposed to, say, 20 years ago, it's much easier for somebody like you to find that niche audience that really appreciates your music because you don't have to rely on the radio. So my question is, is your album actually for sale? Or do you have it just up on these things where people can listen to it? It is free to listen to, and it's free to download. But it's a uh, name-your-price system where you can enter zero, and you can just get the music, or you could enter, you know, five bucks or something. It's, it's really up to the person. And I, I've seen a, an array of, of people with different quantities of <laughs> donations, I would say. That's cool, and um, I appreciate that a lot. Um, sure. For me, more, way more important than, than making money off something like this is to, you know, I definitely um, prioritize the more people being able to listen to it. I feel as if uh, putting a price tag, it may produce this veneer of quality that may be alluring to some people, may produce some sort of uh, superficial value to it. And it may actually, you know, it is a marketing technique, but I still feel as if 
just having it free for anyone to listen to. Uh, that's the way I, I would prefer it to be anyways. Everything I've put out, I kept in that format. Okay, so do you have a suggested donation? Yeah, like five bucks. <laughs> five bucks, okay. Right, I'm going to go out and say, we're promoting this album, A Sea of Hooks. Yeah. And I'm going to suggest, suggest a donation to all you people out there, $15. 15 because that's what, that's what a CD is, right? I that's mean, true, minimum, that's true. Minimum 10. Come on, this is a guy who put a year plus into this in his basement, working tracks, over tracks, over tracks, just to do something he loves. Go on and give this guy 10 bucks. Come on, it's not a big deal. It's good music. Go get it. 15 is my suggested donation. So go do it. He's not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you that. This guy needs to live. You know, it'd be nice to give everything away for free in life, right? But we can't do that. We all live. We all pay rent. We all have to buy groceries, whatever. Go out and give this guy some stinking money, people. Stop being so lazy about this. Go just do it. Stop being cheapskates. Go give the guy 15 bucks. You'll like the music. You'll listen to it over and over. It'll pay for itself. Jim, don't be so hard on our listeners, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I found my new marketer. <laughs> Speaking Thank of paying bills, you know, another way you can do it is live performances, but you know, this is 2020. The coronavirus is out there. Uh, your live options are a lot less. Have you been out playing live? No, because of COVID, uh, naturally, I, I, it's just not a, it's not a feasible option yet. I should clarify that. I have a dichotomy between the, the music I create on my own and I have a separate entity from, aside from the, the family band, it's my own other band, I would say, in Madison, we're a three-piece blues, psychedelic, punk rock group called Sugar and the Milkman. This is the group that I do my live shows in. It's completely unrelated to my own personal recordings. That's the band that I, I've been playing live in Madison for about four or five years now, and we did have to cancel shows in the summer and we don't have anything lined up for the coming year. Unfortunately, maybe that will change come springtime or next summer. Um, live performances are in my case. Well, I did hear a sugar in the milkman performance that you guys did on public radio there in Madison. I forget. We did a stint on the student radio, uh, WSUM in Madison, the Madison college radio. Will any of these songs that you're putting out as your own entity, weave their way into live performances with that band or not? It's difficult in a very basic technical way because the music that I create in the basement, I don't care about how it would translate in a live setting. I add as many you know, keyboards and guitars as I want because it's just me layering things. And those things, while possible, would be hard to translate to a live uh, context just because of that reason. It's just logistically kind of difficult um, there are some songs that could could easily be done in a live setting. I just find myself really visualizing or, or emphasizing that divide between the sugar and the milkman live music and the more me stuff that I make. And I tend to write all those songs in, in one group and I split them up before I start recording them so that the more raucous, loud, punk rock stuff bluesy stuff goes towards the band and um, more strange psychedelic stuff goes to the other group. So I've, that split is kind of a hard split in my, in my head. And for the foreseeable future, I think it'll stay that way, but things can change. So I can't say anything with definitive uh, confidence. Are you really itching to get back out there and uh, doing some live performances? Oh, oh, you betcha. Definitely. It's something that as a band we've done for, 
continuously for, it hasn't been that long, but four years for me seems like a long time to be uh, having shows lined up. It's an, it's an itch I don't get to scratch anymore. So, you know, maybe we'll do a, a you know, may a Facebook live kind of thing or, or a bedroom recording, you know. We've been talking about maybe recording the songs with the band in my studio. Things are up in the air, I guess. I was going to ask you if, if you guys had thought about doing anything, anything uh, you know, virtual. You know, the, the advantage of that is you can reach, you, you don't have to have 100 people in the room because that's all I can hold or 200 people. You can get out to thousands of people. You just get a marketer guy somewhere. I don't know where you find them. So, but you could have a, a lot more people on a, on a virtual concert than, than you could. But the, obviously the, the trade-off is, you know, you don't have the energy of the crowd either. And I, I'd imagine that's, that's all part of the show too. So I don't know, yeah, something to think about. But. You're absolutely right. I agree with that. You know, here's an idea for a song. There's <laughs> okay. got to be some, and I don't want to use this term too flippantly, but there's got to be some depression associated with not being able to share your passion in a live setting. Maybe some angst regarding that could be recorded. Oh, I, I feel you. Definitely. There's something could be translated into, into some songs. Um, I think frustration would definitely take precedence over the depression, but I think both could make a, a deadly cocktail of some, some angsty music. Especially in that punk rock band. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I think what I'm doing is I'm accumulating the angst right now. So it's not being wasted. It's just uh, I'm internalizing it, storing it, near the abdomen and it, it has a, it has a play, time and place where it'll, it'll find itself coming out. So uh, I feel like the time's too wasted in these, in these quarantine days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Use it. Now you're 20. How old are you? 20 what? I'll be 26 in a few months. So. Okay. So you're, you're 25 uh, among your peers. How, how are your peers handling this coronavirus in general? How scared are they? How frustrated are they? Very good question. I feel like, it's a very, in my own personal experience, it's a wide range of reactions amongst friends of different backgrounds and friends of different orientations. As you know, I, I grew up in, my hometown is not Madison, it's Edgerton, which is a small town of 5,000, give or take, about 40 minutes south of Madison. And so I have a wide array of, of close friends ranging from my old small town farm friends to you know, a lot of the people in the music scene in Madison and, and more people from Madison. And there's definitely an array of different reactions. I couldn't categorize it into one group. Some people like me are, are not paranoid, but extremely cautious and careful. As young kids, I think maybe I, people would relate to, to the fact that we feel not invincible, but there's a definitely a not irrational kind of feeling of like youthful energy can surpass any obstacles kind of, you know, I think there's that sort of mentality that kind of permeates through a lot of young people. This like this vitality that is actually not as uh, robust as, as we really, you know, as it really is. That being said, uh, a lot of people with that mindset are still very concerned about their friends and family who aren't, you know, in that phase of their life. As I moved to Madison, you know, a few days ago, I did meet up with some friends to just kind of catch up. It's been seven, seven or eight months I've been living in the woods, kind of no one else but my family uh, in Edgerton. So, but we're all very safe. We wear our masks. We keep our distance. We're respectful. And that's a good thing for me. Do you think that this coronavirus has, has wounded your generation and made them think about mortality more than they should? Um. Maybe. 
I don't know if I have enough information to, uh, to really give you a, a rounded answer to, to represent the generation of, of my own. It's kind of funny. I, I have friends who I, we have these discussions a lot. We're really into, into a lot of uh, philosophical and religious ideas of Buddhism and meditation and, and contemplation of these sort of things. It's funny. We have talks about death a lot. So I, I know that my, my input towards that question would be skewed because I hang out with friends who like talking about it anyways. <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, we're getting to the part where we're going to play the second song here. And the second song we're going to play is, is called Adderall. Is this on that uh, Sea of Hooks? That's correct. It's, I think it's the fourth or fifth track. Hits you, hits you early. Okay. And this is the first song that you said you wrote yourself? Um, it's not the first I wrote. It's the first that I, that I released to the world in a format of a music video on YouTube, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, yeah, that's the context of this song. Okay. So we're, uh, are we, is, this, is this goodbye then, Chris? Is that right? <laughs> this is goodbye. This is goodbye, well, Rich. Uh, thank you for stopping by, and then we're going to play the second song here. Anything else you want to talk about? Any, you don't have any live events coming up. This album just came out. You're not working on another one already, are you? I'm setting myself up to, I actually. Um, I took a little bit of a breather after this album I put out. I was drained. I was brain dead for a little bit because it really sucked a lot out of me to, to get it all done. But yeah, uh, new things are in the works. Um, I'm getting set up for that. I don't really have anything to, to plug for uh, upcoming shows or events. But I guess I just want to say, you know, I really appreciate having, you know, the opportunity to be on here and have really, really good talk like this. And uh, I had a really good time. All right, sounds good. Jim, your new, Jim is your new marketing agent. Right. So, Jim, I want you to, to tell about the song and, and market him for a little bit of him. Sure. In all seriousness, I mean, you guys just heard how much energy and how much of himself he put into this thing. I mean, he was drained after, after putting a year of effort into this thing. I know we joke around a lot on this show, but really, go check out his album. Throw 10, 15 bucks to him. It's, it's good music. Check it out. Check out SoundCloud or Spotify or Apple Music and don't get it for free. Throw $10. Come on. Come on. We don't charge anything for this show. You guys are getting all our content for free. You can put $10 towards this guy so he can buy some groceries. So having said that, we're going to lead into Adderall uh, by Richie. And, uh, and thanks again for coming on, Richie. We really appreciate oh, my it. My pleasure. Yeah.
Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast when we talk with former professional cyclist Matthew Boucher.